0: Good morning. The scripture reading today is from 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 2 through 13. As the Apostle Paul continues his conversation with the Christians of ancient Corinth. It was a troubled church where false teachers spread ugly rumors about Paul to stir up discontent. And so Paul had to have some tough conversations with them, which caused some tension in their relationship with him. And through this letter, he's trying to repair some of that damage. So here, listen as he writes. "'Make room for us in your hearts. "'We have wronged no one, we have corrupted no one, "'we have exploited no one. "'I do not say this to condemn you, as I have said before, "'that you have such a place in our hearts "'that we would live or die with you. "'I have spoken to you with great frankness. "'I take great pride in you. "'I am greatly encouraged. "'In all our troubles my joy knows no bounds. "'For when we came into Macedonia we had no rest.' but were harassed at every turn, conflicts on the outside, fears within. But God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus, and not only by his coming, but also by the comfort you had given him. He told us about your longing for me, your deep sorrow, your ardent concern for me, so that my joy was greater than ever. And even if I caused you sorrow by my letter, I do not regret it. Though I did regret it, I see that my letter hurt you, but only for a little while. Yet now I am happy, not because you were made sorry, but because your sorrow led you to repentance. For you became sorrowful as God intended, and so were not harmed by us in any way. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret, but worldly sorrow brings death. See what this godly sorrow has produced in you, what eagerness, what earnestness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what alarm, what longing, what concern, what readiness to see justice done. At every point, you have proved yourselves to be innocent in this matter. And even though I wrote to you, it was neither on account of the one who did the wrong, nor on account of the injured party, but rather that before God, you could see yourselves how devoted you are to us you are. And by all this, we are greatly encouraged. Amen. Thanks be to God, for this is his word. This week I received a letter that had some good news in it. It was a letter that I shared with our elders Wednesday night. It's a letter welcoming us as a congregation into our new affiliation with the covenant order of evangelical Presbyterians, also called ECO. One line of the, this letter really struck home with me goes like this. I know that the transition to eco, into ECO wasn't easy. You probably feel like you need to take a deep breath. I would encourage you, however, not to, spend, not to spend too long catching your breath, as there is a lot of work to be done for the kingdom of God. What struck me was that I realized that so much of my focus this past year has been on coming to the end of something, coming to the end of our affiliation with the Presbyterian Church USA. That's absorbed so much of my energy. And yet what's really most important is the new beginning. What we have now with ECO, a a door door has been opened wide for us that gives us the opportunity, a unique opportunity, to rethink what we're doing as a church, to, to rethink how we as a congregation are going to effectively serve Christ. It's exciting to think about, a new beginning for our church. But what about you as an individual? I mean, how many times in life do you really get the opportunity to rethink what your life is all about? Uh, Not many. We get into a groove, you know, life gets so busy we just keep plowing ahead and we rarely take time to think about what we're doing or where we're headed. So what an exciting thing, or, or maybe really a terrifying thing it would be, the possibility of rethinking your life and taking it in a whole new direction. Like, 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 what if you got a message that was so good, it forced you to rethink your entire life? Like the bank made a mistake years ago calculating your mortgage, and now suddenly you discover that your house is all paid off. Or a long lost relative, you know, died and named you the sole heir of their multi-million dollar fortune. Or, Or after years of struggle with your alcoholic and abusive husband, he's turned a corner and has been healed of his addiction and anger. Or your doctor calls and says that his or her diagnosis had been all wrong and that you don't have to have the surgery after all. That kind of news gives you the opportunity to rethink your life. No more coupon clipping and bargain shopping because your future is no longer clouded by debt. No more, you know, walking on eggshells afraid that some trivial event will set off another heated argument. Your fears of hospitals and procedures and rehab, they vanish in a moment. The good news has come unexpectedly and all those old worries are gone. It's a new day. I mean, you'd be walking on a cloud, right? But what about day two? The morning after the good news arrives. You wake up and you're still worried about money. I mean, how to invest it? How to protect it? Everybody wants a piece of it. You wake up in a sweat, afraid that maybe your husband's going to relapse. Or you toss and turn all night because you, you can't stop thinking about hospitals and, and death. You've got the good news, so why would all those old thoughts Come back? Well, because you've spent months and months, maybe even years, thinking about your life based on your problems. Financial woes have been your daily worry. For years and years, your fear of abuse has been factored into every choice that you make. Health concerns are kind of like an unwanted house guest who moves in and just won't leave. You see, our old habits, our old ways of thinking, they die hard. We are creatures of habit, and even when people get the good news, it is very difficult to rethink what life is all about, and that's true with the good news about Jesus. The Bible uses a big, scary word to describe this need to rethink your life, a big, scary word to describe this process of living life in a new way. It's the word repent. Repent. Now when most people hear the word repent, they don't think of it in any positive way. It conjures up images of the, you know, the street preachers shouting at passerbys through a megaphone. Repent! The end is near. It's doom and gloom from angry, you know, self-righteous nutjobs. Repent is a word that gets wrapped up with fear and condemnation, judgment and, and rejection. And so rather than bringing people closer to Christ, you know, the finger-pointing Preachers inevitably drive people away from God. If I can accomplish just one thing this morning, it will be to change your mind about the meaning of the word repent and to get you to embrace repentance as one of the most positive things a person can ever do. To do that, I think it's important to realize that the person who talks the most about repentance in the Bible is Jesus. I mean, repentance is a favorite topic in Jesus' teaching. In fact, it is actually the very first message Jesus preached. These are the very first words out of Jesus' mouth as they're recorded in the Gospel of Mark, chapter one, verse 15. The time has come, the kingdom of God has come near, repent and believe the good news. If the very first thing Jesus said is repent, how can we not take it seriously? The need for people to repent was uppermost in Jesus' mind, but Jesus didn't use the word repent in any negative way. For Jesus, repentance was not a negative word at all. He he wasn't saying, repent, the end is near. Judgment is hanging over your head. God's going to punish you if you don't shape up. No, in fact, it's quite the opposite. Jesus wasn't saying, repent, the end is near. He was saying, repent, the beginning is near. The beginning is near. God is doing something new. God is doing something good and you can be a part of it. When Jesus said the kingdom of God is at hand, he was actually talking about himself. Jesus is the physical embodiment of the reign of God, the kingdom of God, the very presence of God. And he's right there. That's why he could say the kingdom of God is close to you. I mean, they could literally reach out and touch it. And Jesus called people back then, and he calls to us today. You can be part of this, this kingdom of God. You can be part of what God is doing. God is on the move, and God will not be stopped. In Jesus, the old is gone, and the new has come. And you're invited to move to the side of victory. You're invited to switch teams. And now's your chance if you get it, if this makes sense to you. It will cause you to repent. It will cause you to rethink your whole life. That's the meaning of repentance for Jesus. To receive God's good news, to really receive it, means to discover a new beginning, a new freedom, not judgment and condemnation, but to discover an open door to a new kind of life. And this requires a new kind of thinking. Repentance is... Is this new way of thinking? Now, I know you thought repentance meant, you know, feeling remorse, feeling guilty, trying harder next time. If you've been told that, then somebody has been lying to you because at its very core, the word repent means rethink your life. The real trick is that you have to have a valid reason, a a big enough reason to rethink your life. Just wanting a positive mental attitude is not enough. Simply trying harder won't change your world. Promising yourself or someone else that you're going to turn over a new leaf, that won't cut it. There must be some core reality that changes the whole equation, that wipes away the past, that offers you a future filled with hope and purpose, and then the power to live it. Jesus presented this core reality when he said the kingdom of god is breaking in it's right here it's right now jesus wasn't describing some new program or advocating you know some new moral philosophy jesus wasn't saying try harder to be a good person jesus was saying the world is forever different because of who he was and what he would do to set people free his cross his resurrection His Holy Spirit now flowing in the lives of those who would turn to him. His Holy Spirit giving people the power to change. The power to rethink their lives and then to live life God's way. The grace of Jesus Christ is good news that comes with a requirement. Rethink your life. In fact, repentance is the only rational response to God's grace. Let me say that again. Repentance is the only rational response to God's grace. Because repent is the first word of the gospel, the first word of the good news. The grace of Christ requires that we rethink our way of life. Our thoughts, actions, our emotions, our desires, our dreams, our relationships, our idols, our habits, excuses, our fears and failures. Grace requires that we rethink everything. Have you experienced this kind of repentance? Repentance, the way Jesus talked about it, is a lot bigger than just feeling sorry for something you did wrong. It is a total life change, a total life commitment, a total lifestyle of turning toward God every day, a turning away from the old way of life, and a turning towards Jesus every single day. And that's a hard message to hear jesus wasn't shy about saying hard things to people you know if you ever want to see me break into a cold sweat it's when i have to be in a situation that requires confrontation i am not wired that way i don't enjoy having those those difficult but necessary conversations with someone else you know about something that they've done i think most of you are like me i mean most people don't enjoy confrontation we either shy away from the hard conversations We kind of keep postponing, keep avoiding the sensitive issues, hoping they'll kind of solve themselves, but they rarely do. We keep hoping that the other person is going to see the light or just kind of snap out of it on their own, but they rarely do. We avoid confrontation because when we finally get up the nerve to say something, we lose our cool. All that stuff that we've been storing up erupts, and the emotional temperature kind of goes through the roof. We come across as being too self-righteous, too pious, and... The other person then feels condemned and rejected. So things just kind of end up worse than ever. I think the reason Jesus was so good at talking about repentance was that he was also so good at compassion. In the Gospels, there's an expression about Jesus that's used 12 times. The expression is that Jesus was moved with compassion. It's an expression that talks about really feeling it deep in your gut. It describes the way people, uh, Jesus treated people, compassion. Even people who don't know much about Jesus tend to think of him that way, that he was a man of compassion. But folks, let's not settle for cliches about Jesus. We have to look at what his, his compassion was really made of. Jesus accepted people, absolutely yes. He accepted people as they were, but he didn't want them to stay that way. The gospel says come as you are, but not stay as you are. Acceptance for Jesus was a starting point. He started where people were, but he also believed in what they could become. Take the story in John chapter 4 of the woman Jesus met at the well. She had a very tangled life, five husbands either divorced or widowed five times, we don't know for sure, but now she was even living with a sixth guy. Even by today's standards, that's messed up. And Jesus accepted her without condemning her. He also accepted the woman caught in adultery in John chapter uh, 9 or 8. He also accepted Zacchaeus, the, the dishonest, corrupt tax collector. But that acceptance was a starting point to move them towards repentance and life change. Jesus desired that people would come to him and then that they would turn from their wrong ways. But Jesus communicated acceptance, but acceptance led to repentance and repentance led to life change. Remember the woman caught in adultery? To her he said, go and sin no more. And here's the critical point. When we say Jesus accepted people as they were, we don't mean that he then endorsed what they were doing or how they were living. And that's where our culture today has got it all wrong. Today, the way the word acceptance is used, it means I support, I encourage, I endorse what you're doing. Acceptance means I give you my stamp of approval. That's the way our culture sees it. But that's not how Jesus operated. In the Jesus model of human relationships, acceptance does not mean that you agree with the content of what the other person is saying or or with the content of what they're doing, but that it means that you acknowledge and understand what the person is saying. You understand what they're feeling. You understand why they're doing what they're doing. Acceptance means understanding in a compassionate way. And that then goes a long way to making a positive conversation. Jesus communicated acceptance as understanding. He could feel with people. He could feel with the struggles people were having. And yet, without being sucked into endorsing why they were, you know, what they were doing. He could really listen. And you know, there's a difference between listening and hearing. Hearing is just kind of getting information for yourself. You only pick up what's important to you. But listening communicates caring and being empathetic towards others. Because in listenings, you, you try to get in touch with what's going on inside the other person. What got them to where they are now. We we hear with our heads, we analyze what's being said, but listening is done with the heart. And Jesus could really listen to a person's struggle without then having to endorse how they handled it. And then he could gently and sometimes firmly call them to repent, to rethink their lives in the light of his grace. And that's what the Apostle Paul did with the Corinthians. Read through the passage again. You see his compassion, his caring, his empathy, his connection with the folks in Corinth. He was calling them to repentance Jesus' way. You see, without the call to repentance, without a sense that God does have a moral will and a purpose, and we are to align ourselves with God's way of thinking and living as revealed in Scripture, without that, then sharing the gospel just becomes like two people who don't know how to swim trying to save each other. Most likely they're just going to drag each other down. The gospel of Jesus always calls people to repentance. It's a turning away and a turning toward. For Paul and his relationship with the Corinthians, the call to repentance was an act of grace. When coupled with compassion, listening with empathy, the call to repentance is often the most loving thing you can do for someone the most loving thing, if it means you can help them kind of unmask their distortions, the distortions the person has of him or herself, their distorted view of their value in God's eyes or their distortions about God and God's will. Repentance means unmasking those distortions, the games, the lies, the smoke screens people use to hide from God and even hide from being honest in their own self-understanding. Repentance challenges people then to consider also all the resources that God has to help them change their lives, help them make better decisions for themselves, become less self-destructive, help them move closer to Christ and to get in line with Christ's way of living. But talking about repentance is never easy. Paul says it produces a sorrow. In verse 10, godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret, but worldly sorrow brings death there's a lot of emotion bundled up in a conversation about repentance and the closer the relationship the more intense those emotions will be I mean you can feel like you've really stepped in it when you try to talk repentance to someone else because it is rarely received well at least not at first just remember the call to repentance is an act of grace not an act of judgment If you can do it like Jesus did it, like Paul did it, with compassion, with listening and understanding. And then you can say, repent and believe. Rethink your life because the beginning is near. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you just for your honesty with us and how you could be compassionate, you could listen, you could empathize with people, and yet not then endorse our sin. You always led people to something new, a new beginning. And I pray, Lord, that we would do that for ourselves. Pray that we would do that for our church, but also, Lord, that you would give us the compassionate empathy to be able to see those conversations happen with other people who need to hear the call to rethink their lives in the light of the grace of Jesus Christ